0: The motto for 2 Corinthians is, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul's troubles to show us that God is faithful, not only to see us through, but to use our difficulties in powerful ways. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Strength Through Weakness. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love and for your Spirit who's here with us to open the eyes of our hearts that we might understand your word and put it into practice. Lord, help us not deceive ourselves by thinking it's just good enough to know and to hear, uh, but help us to remember to put it into practice, to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. In Christ's name, amen. Paul has now here in chapter 8 some context, and we'll dive in. He's been firing. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the true author of all scripture, and he's firing at the Corinthians hard hearts and he's telling them listen you he's trying to inspire them through the example of others the dirt poor macedonians in the north though they had nothing they were way more generous than the affluent corinthians number two he said let me affirm you you're good at sharing the gospel you guys have a lot of faith and knowledge about god but what what's up with the giving You've got a blind spot. Number three, he was reminding them of their promise. Oh, over and over again, he said, hey, we were all there at the meeting when you all got everybody else excited about giving. And so number four, he assured them of a purpose. He said, listen, we're not asking you to give so that you'll make other people rich. That's not the purpose of Christian giving. And so he said, you're giving to relieve people's needs there. And then number five, he said, and he reminded them that in giving, one good turn deserves another. In other words, he said, listen, you guys have plenty now. They're lacking. So right now, your plenty is going to supply what they need. And one day, you may be the one coming up short. And God will make sure that he puts it on their hearts to give to you. And so with that, that's what chapter 8 was all about. We left one little paragraph, so he's still giving them incentives to be a cheerful giver. And so let's look at that next few verses, 16 through 24. I thank God who put it in the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative and we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we're sending with them, Titus and the brother, we're sending with them, our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he's zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, Corinthians, so that the churches can see it. All right, so... With all this coming and going and Titus and the two guys, what's happening here? Let me give you some context and then we'll dive in because it can be a little confusing. Titus has just come back from them to Paul and now Paul is writing 2 Corinthians and gonna hand it to Titus with the two brothers and they're gonna go with the purpose, A, of giving them 2 Corinthians and B, preparing this offering, helping them get it ready so that Paul is going to be able to come with other church leaders and come and receive the offering. So the three guys, Titus and his two friends, the two brothers, are going down there, brothers in the Lord, uh, to prepare, I think uh, And uh, Paul the Apostle, will make sure with, uh, if you look at Acts chapter 20, when the offering goes, there are seven men accompanying that large liberal gift. It's a sizable amount of money. And so in Acts chapter 20, there are seven names there. So, so this paragraph that you're looking at is explaining that Titus and a couple of the brothers are coming with Second Corinthians in hand and to help prepare them to finish the task of getting everything ready so that when Paul... And the more influential leaders do arrive down in Corinth. They're ready for it. and they're, they're not unprepared. That's the context. And by the way, getting it from Corinth to Jerusalem, 1,800 miles. And so it's a big deal. All right, so let's dive in here. No one knows better than Paul that talking about money is a very ticklish It's very sensitive. It's fraught with all kinds of pitfalls, isn't it? To this day, you can tell his sensitive language and how he's uh, having to be uh, very careful with his words. He's going to take every precaution to help them understand um, the grace of giving. And so continuing now with the theme of encouraging uh, Christians to give, to be generous in the way that they live. Here's another incentive in this paragraph here. Uh, Time to highlight the integrity of the leaders who have moral accountability. These guys who are entrusted to handle this sizable love offering, which accounted for a lot of money. Verse 21 The theme of this paragraph is, hey, we want to take pains to avoid any unjust criticism, right? He's going to say, in the sight of God and in the sight of everybody, that there should be a moral accountability in the way that we handle uh, church monies. And so it is, he's handling a, what he calls it, a liberal gift. It's a sizable um, amount of money, as I've been saying. So, What are the ways that we take pains in making sure we avoid unjust criticism or stumble anybody? Uh, The way we handle money is to choose the right men to handle the money. Men of character, men who fear the Lord, men who have spiritual maturity. And so he's number one saying, I'm sending Titus. Now in verses 16 and 17, he's saying, listen, I'm sending Titus back and now he's standing there with the letter, right? And he's saying, Titus has just been there, I know, but he loved the idea of returning to you. This is his idea. He loves you, he's pumped. And uh, so number one, to help you give, we've chosen men you know. Men you know, men you love, and men who love you. In other words, uh, he's the real deal. He's sincere, he's genuine. These are men you can trust. And so uh, he loves you like I love you. Verse 16 says, in true, he's a true believer. He's true to the faith. He's true with his love for you. And so now, secondly, he says, I'm sending you Titus and these two guys, really men of good reputation. So to increase the spirit of giving in the church, He's focusing now on the integrity of the leaders that they have a stellar reputation, not just in the church, but in the whole community. He's going to talk about this guy and says the whole region, all the churches, you just mentioned his name and everybody lights up and says, well, what a zealous guy. And the word zealous there for that brother Uh, is the word to boil over. He's boiling over with zeal and dedication and love for the Lord. So verse 18, now we're going to meet these two unnamed brothers who accompany Titus. And so he says, uh, uh, coming along with Titus is, in verse 18, the brother. It's just interesting. He calls him the brother, like everybody knows. Oh, the brother, you know. And so everybody knows who he's talking about. Uh, He says he's praised by, imagine this, praised by all the churches for his devoted service to the gospel. That guy is every church's need and every pastor's dream, all right? So now notice in verse 19, That the brother who, he's not clamoring to say, hey, I want a role in this uh, real heroic thing. I want a position of honor. He's not trying to. He was selected. He was chosen. Now, there's a difference between making yourself available for something, which is nice, and pushing yourself forward. So it, it, it says, all hands pointed to him. When the leaders were thinking, who are we going to get to accompany a sizable gift down to Corinth and then go 1,800 miles to make sure that it gets there? Right? Who are we going? And everybody, it says in the Greek, all hands pointed, all hands just pointed. They knew right away. You just said his name, and and they said, of course, of course, he's the one. The show of hands, verse 19 is what it says. So it was a no brainer for uh, the leaders. And you know, it's nice that he was chosen. But people who put themselves forward and volunteer with an agenda, that's a problem. And you know how you find out it's a problem? Is when there's a little delay. Or you say, no, we don't really need that. And they're offering to do something that, you know, the church really doesn't have a need for. And then there's a temper tantrum. And then you find out, oh, it wasn't really, you were just volunteering. It's so super awesome when somebody comes forward and says, where would you like me to plug a hole? Where, where do you have a need in the church? And I'll go there to that need, and I'll help there. I didn't come to you and say, I can only do this, this only, and you've got like three days <laughs> to say yes, right? Okay, he wasn't like that. They just said, we want you, and, and, and why don't why don't we have his name? Because Paul the Apostle isn't going to embarrass him. He's not that kind of guy, He'd be, he'd be upset to hear his name blasted like that. He's a humble guy. That's part of why they chose him It's because of that kind of humility. And so the Bible says a good name is more desirable than great riches. And to be, to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And why is that? Because it opens up doors of opportunity for God to use you, for people to trust you, And now because he's worked so hard at his reputation, he has an opportunity to be a Bible hero. You know, and so we don't know his name. I can can guarantee you that when you get to heaven, you're going to meet some guy and he's going to have a big gold ring with a little scripture on it. It's going to say 2 Corinthians 8.18. And you're going to say, what's 2 Corinthians 8.18 say again? And it's going to say, the brother. (laughs) I'm the brother. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we're all going to know. And plus, by the way, you're all going to be Bible scholars. And you'll all know where 2 Corinthians eight, eighteen is and what it says. And so verse 22 says, in addition to Titus and the brother, we're sending our brother. Now another Christian and probably from uh the close little tight-knit leadership team there and everybody. Same reason we're not gonna mention his name because it's not about them. That's the deal. Now, I don't know how would you feel if man, you got you got mentioned in the Bible, but nobody knows it's you. You know, I I'd slightly be slipping out. Whoops, did I mention I'm the guy who I'm the brother, you know? <laughs> It be hard, but that's precisely what it is. He's selfless. He must increase. I must decrease. That's, that's the kind of guy, they, guys, they were. And so this other brother, now he's coming. He says, this, our brother, we're sending along with this team. He has proven himself to us in many ways. Now that goes right along with 1 Timothy chapter 3, where it says, listen, these young men, Uh, They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. This brother who's coming, he said, he's been tested. We just don't check him out on Sunday morning. We know about him on Friday nights. Uh, Oh, we don't just check out his home life. We we checked out how he is on business trips. Integrity is, the, is what you are when nobody's looking in the dark, right? In fact, integrity comes from the Latin word integer, where we get the word integer, <laughs> and, and, and it means whole, a whole number, right? So a person with integrity is wherever you slice them, wherever you find them, at home, on vacation, in good times and bad times, on the mountaintop or in the valley. They are faithful, always. And he's been proven. I mean, this is the guy. Through loss and grief, he didn't get his uh, nose bent out of joy. Through temptation, he's been tested. Verse 22, this guy, through betrayal, through unfair and unjust circumstances, through financial challenges, through persecution, through correction. He's been corrected, corrected, and corrected. And he's good. He didn't leave the church crying like a little baby. He's a straight arrow. I didn't have anyone in mind, by the way, there. Verse 23 he says, these young men represent the churches and are an honor to Christ. Receive them with love and treat them as you would treat me kind of thing. Open your hearts to them. Relax, Corinthians. You can get it together. You can entrust and take away one more hindrance to your heart saying, I don't really want to give. You can give because you know what? the thing in the back of your mind, what if one of those guys, oh, you don't have to worry about that because it's Titus, my partner. It's the brother that all the churches went, that's the guy from his sterling character. And it's our brother who's been proven many times in many circumstances. You can trust, you can take a deep breath. You've got men of God And we're taking great pains. That's why three guys taking great pains. Why why not just send Titus? Because we're taking great pains to do what's right in the sight of men and with God. So it's a sizable amount of money. Let there be three guys. Multiple eyes is important. You know, like the men of old, all churches and ministries must take great pains to do what's right in the sight of the Lord and what's right in the sight of people to be above reproach. I've mentioned this before. How do we take great pains? One thing we do is copy this, multiple eyes. So there are five sets of eyes plus an outside source. Uh, Once a year, a CPA, independent firm, comes in and looks at detailed review and expensive ouch review but it's worth it to come in and do the books and, and look at the books and it was so funny because last week I'm talking about giving and being above reproach and all of this and Garland got a text from the CPA firm that said two thumbs up we're done with your review everything looks good but it's while I'm preaching on being good stewards of God's resources and so that was pretty cool uh, now You know, I've talked to you about this before, but tithe boxes, two collectors, two sets of keys, two counters, counting, cameras in the offices, combinations, passcodes. All of these things are, are important to be above reproach I mean, pity the fool in this church. Pity the fool who, A, tries to pick up a child without the proper uh, sticker, A, or you cross the red tape where there's red tape. I mean, to take a kid to the bathroom, there's like a set of laws. Step over and die, you know? People have talked to me. Wow, it's like an army base back there. I said, they're kids. They're children. Another person came up to me. Several people came up to me. What is it with a background check and fingerprints and live scan and interviews and and a whole bunch of things? They're children. And we're accountable. And the same thing goes with money. The same thing goes with money. There are proper procedures and protocols to signers on checks. There's just a lot of stuff. There's books and procedures and part of getting a degree at a seminary is called church management. You have to go through all of these things. And so what was good back 2,000 years ago is good today as well. Amen? Amen. Chapter 9. It's a pretty fast one. So don't worry. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. That's a hilarious line to me. That's why I'm writing to you and spending two chapters doing that. But I'll, I'll explain this to you because it's very wise. There's no need for me to write. To you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians up here in the northern parts of Greece. They're in the south, telling them that since last year, you in the lower region of Greece were given, were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them. Your enthusiasm, Corinth, your talk anyway, has stirred much of them into action. They're giving, you're talking, and thank you for that, but now we'd like to see some money. All right, verse three. But I am sending the brothers in order that are boasting about you in this matter, the three brothers, Titus, the brother, and our brother, should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. That's the job of Titus and the two brothers. Help you get it together, quite literally. Uh, number Verse four, for if any Macedonians, us northerners, who I've been bragging nonstop about you guys to, come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. <laughs> I love Paul, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, Titus and the brother and our brother, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. But I don't have any need to tell you about it, but you know, come on, then it will be ready As, oh, look at this. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not like I have been nagging you, not as one grudgingly given. Let me tell you what's up with this. Paul is parenting. Paul is parenting his spiritual babies. All right? When I had little babies, when we had little children, here's what we'd say. When they're doing the behavior that wasn't right. You're not the kind of boy who pushes other boys around. You're the kind of boy that is gentle and kind. You're not the kind of child who answers people back rudely. You're not that kind of child, even though (laughs) they're doing it right there. But you're saying to them, you know what? You can either make a choice right now to be that kind of child or not. I'm saying God created you in a different way and I'm believing you are going to go that way. But you still have a choice right now, but he's parenting them. He's saying, "Listen. He's saying, "Where did I got it written down somewhere?" He's saying, "I know you don't need me to say this." He's saying, I know you guys are the last people in the whole world who would ever need a prompt to give to be generous, right? Or are you? That's up to them. If they can't figure out the kind of playful gestures of saying, come on, are you or aren't you? Right? That's what's happening there. And so very interesting to me. And so... Uh, Incentives to give. He wants them to trust their leaders. And now he wants them to save face. His and their own. Because here's what's happening here. He says, keep your promise. Everybody knows. Everybody heard. Maybe they all got together. But, you know, one writer said this about the Corinthians. I'm very insightful about verse 2 here. The news got out that these Corinthians were making a lot of noise about coming up with some big number. And somehow they started talking and it got through the Christian grapevine and the whole region heard, man, alive. Wow. So one writer said this. It was nice having the impressive oohs and ahs of those who heard how the Corinthians were planning to help those poor Jewish souls in Jerusalem. Not to mention their own worn, fuzzy feelings talking about all the help they were going to be. They made generous promises, came up with elaborate fundraising schemes. There were torrents of tears and prayers at the altar for the languishing, suffering saints in God's city. Hallelujah. There were collections and share and telethons and talk, talk, talk. And the only thing that's missing now is the money. <laughs> so the promissory note, if I can call it that, is come due. And the men are coming to collect what they themselves promised. So Paul is like, you guys, you promised. And while you were promising and getting all the funds together and all of that, I was out boasting about it. And because of what they heard about you guys, they actually were spurred into action. So other churches have been giving because they heard about you. Now, if we show up at the church that encouraged them to give and find out that all it was was a bunch of words, I'm going to be humiliated. And then he says, not to mention you, you guys. How embarrassing would that be? We show up. Hey, guys, you're the Corinthians. You're the church. Wow, you've had a year to prepare. And they're like, oh, yeah, the offering. Oh, yeah, let's just pass something around right now. You guys got a quarter, you know, whatever. You know, I know they had shekels, whatever. So the, uh, it's due now. The three boys, he said, verse five, I've sent the boys, if I can call them that, to help you get it ready, you know. And then you could present it. When they knock on the door, it's like you're coming to them. If you're prepared, it's like, oh, it was our idea. But if they come and you're not prepared, it's going to look like, you don't want to give it and you're not ready and that, we're, that there's some sort of pressure involved. And we wouldn't want that, right? And so, Paul, I love him. I can't wait to meet him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. And we're finished. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is not a televangelist speaking to you. This is the Holy Spirit. And just because it's been abused to death, abused to death, it doesn't mean it's not true. Abused, taken advantage, perverted by evil, evil men who took The promise of God that is true and aimed it into their own bank account. There's going to be hell to pay for that kind of behavior. Remember this, the Holy Spirit says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should figure out in their own hearts what they want to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. As it's written in Psalm 112, verse 9, he has scattered... Abroad, his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I think you'll be surprised what that truly means. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. There's so many ways to be wealthy, (laughs) but in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to god this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of god's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to god because of the service by which you have proved yourselves Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Wow. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So we finish up now. Some of the incentives for giving. You can give because you can trust your leaders. If you can trust your leaders. Number two, uh, to avoid embarrassment. And in their case, it was because they boasted and promised. And now everybody was coming to get it. But in our case, that works too. Because we're going to be evaluated. And that will mean our giving records will be evaluated before you and the Lord. So we don't want to be embarrassed on that day. Whoopsies, I spent more on lattes than the work of the Lord, right? As I talked about last week. I don't want to hear that at all. And now he says the results of generosity, the, another incentive for giving is its benefit to you. And it seems to me that the Holy Spirit does not have a problem letting the giver know that something good is going to come your way because of obeying. What God says to do is take care of the house of the Lord, the ministry that is enriching you. You have an obligation to sustain financially. And that's, he says, when you do that, I'm going to bless you. And that's what it says. Now, let's talk about this law of, uh, the spiritual law called the boomerang. Effect, all right. Because Jesus said, Jesus, your Lord, not a televangelist. He says this. Jesus said, give and I promise it'll be given to you. But in greater increase, he says. That's a promise. So this is what this is talking about. This paragraph that you're looking at. Uh, what goes out in giving comes back with an increase. Now, verse six, he says, remember this. In other words, don't forget this. There's a spiritual law here. Remind your reluctant, little, doubting, unbelieving heart that you're not losing something. You're investing something. And every time you invest and give, there's a harvest every single time. I hate even using that language because it's been so abused. But... It's true. So he says, have faith and learn the lesson of the farmer. So he starts out there right at verse six and following. So in the Greek it says, scanty sowing, scanty, har- har- scanty harvest, plentiful sowing, plentiful harvest. Here's what he's saying A farmer sowing seed may feel he loses seed as it falls out of his hand to the ground. I, I've lost something, I've lost grain, it's gone. Right? But like we may feel when we're losing something, falls from our hands, like I'm giving, it's gone away. But just as the farmer plants in an anticipation that there's a harvest coming, we should give with the same kind of attitude and anticipation of good things coming. Here's the Holy Spirit's point. If the farmer plants only a few seeds because he wants to hold on to some of those seeds. I don't want to lose them, right? So, uh, yes, he'd have more seed in the barn at sowing time, but at harvest time, he comes up a loser compared to the one who planted more seed. Every kernel of seed produces a stalk. And in the head, there are 50 kernels. So for every seed that is sown, it always will bring back 50 or produce 50. So the very idea is I've saved some of my grain. You've lost... Well, let's see. I mean, there's some math here. Uh, one stock here. Let me see here. If you, if you save... I had this neat little... You save 10... Okay, I got it. If you save 10... Hold the 10 kernels back. You've lost 500 opportunities for good. Do you see? But you've got your 10 kernels. That's Bible math there. And I'll tell you what, I'm already talking to a very generous crowd. I already know that. And when you talk to generous givers, they already know, they learn. That's why they're generous. That's why they're still generous. And so the paragraph goes on to say, no worries about being generous because some people think, you know, one of the things that hinders people from giving is you just feel like I'm going to give too much or or I'm going to, yeah, right. Uh, That's probably not one of the problems of... uh, so he says, uh, next he says, uh, in the next verse, he says, "Have first he says, have some faith. And then he says, set a goal. Decide in your heart, not grudgingly. Set a goal, 5%, 3%, 10%, 12%. Or just come up with a number in your head. Every week I'm going to give this much money and then I'm going to work to increase that. And, and As you do that, other areas of generosity start to grow as well. So we're not just talking about the tiny little subject of money, though it's huge in our minds. It's not all that the scriptures are talking about. So then he says, listen, I want you to have a little faith. I want you to have a goal. And I want you to have some fun because God loves a cheerful giver. I told you last week the word for cheerful is where we get the word hilarious or happy. And so what he's saying is be hilarious like the dude from Psalm 112 and verse 9. As it is written, he the godly man, not God. If you read the psalm, you find out he's talking about a righteous, godly man, the whole psalm. And he says, the righteous man has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. Do you see the word scattered? And his righteousness of the generous man endures forever. The, his good works are known in life and have an eternal ramification. Scattered abroad, the word there is prodigal. The word there is wasteful. It's just loose. There are poor people. I'm going to scatter gifts without kind of restraint. And now the whole rest of the paragraph is, don't worry, you think that's wasteful? You think you're gonna run out? He says, oh, no worries. The whole rest of the paragraph now is about God's grace. Well, let me see this. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Number one, Christ is the true giver. And when we are giving cheerfully, we are the most like him. Number two, why does he love a cheerful giver? We are the most useful to Christ when we're giving. We're blessing somebody. If you're giving and you're just being a generous person, God knows that tears are being dried, hearts are being comforted, people's lives are being encouraged, there's food on somebody's table, and someone's hearing the gospel because you're cheerfully giving. And so, of course, God goes, wow, I love that. He loves that. And anything that makes God say, I love that, I want to be doing. (laughs) Amen? Amen? All right, so... And by the way, he's a cheerful giver, likes to pick up the tab. He doesn't play the game. Oh, oh, do I have my wallet? Oh, do I have my wallet? He doesn't do that. He actually beats you and pulls the wallet out and pays. I was out to lunch with a guy who never lets me pay, right? And I just got tired of it, right? And so I got there early and I went to the waitress. It was at Piner Cafe, And I pulled out my little debit card, and I said, listen, I'm with this very obnoxious man. (laughs) And he will never let me give, ever. And I said, do not take his card, right? Here it is. And she goes, absolutely. And so I loved it. He was just (laughs) eating, eating, and we're doing our thing and talking. And then I go to get my wallet. and He goes, no. Right? And I said, too (laughs) bad. And uh, he goes, he's waving his card and the waitress is going, it's already paid for, sir. (laughs) Oh, cha-ching, I love that. Listen, there is joy. There is joy in filling some guy's gas tank up because you borrowed the car. Don't bring it back until it's full. Well, I only have $15. Put it in there. He's saying God is able to replenish you and take care of you. Read it for yourself. He says, you're never going to run out if you're a cheerful giver. He says, the same God, verse 10, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. When you're scattering like that, he'll come behind and he'll make sure to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. you see? He's saying, listen, this is a service that, that God will, will, will supply. God will supply your need. You will never run out. He'll keep you full. And God just knows who to give what to, to who because he knows who, who will disperse it. And that's why he can give to givers. Why would he give to somebody who's not going to share? He's like, I'm just going to keep that guy barely alive. <laughs> <laughs> because what good is it to give him anything? Oh, people, Oh, if I won the lottery, you'll be set, Pastor Ross, <laughs> at this church. It's like, dude, first of all, we don't, waste God's money in the lottery yeah. second of all if you can't sacrificially give now with little and be found faithful you will in no wise be found faithful or generous with a large amount because you can't do it with $20 you're not going to do it with $20 million trust me amen all right I feel better <laughs> <laughs> better last last page Here's what verse eight says, and verse ten and eleven. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. You'll never ever run out when you're a giver. The all-sufficient God, who has endless storehouse of grace, will keep replenishing you, hilarious givers. He promises to resupply givers everything they need whenever they need it, so that on every occasion they can be a blessing and be a hilarious giver. And then verse 10 says, not only will he replenish, check it out right behind me, he'll increase your resources so you can be enriched in every way on every occasion so that you can keep being generous. And then verse 11, attention all hilarious givers. You won't won't run dry. You'll have nothing to worry about. Keep on giving. There's more where that came from, says God. And here's a nice quote here. We'll end Here in these verses, God has forever put an end to that nagging fear of giving, uh, uh, of not having enough left over after giving for our own needs. And he, he paraphrases God as saying, like I would ever let that happen to you. Paul closes out with two other benefits of giving in verse 12. He says, you, my generous friend, will be the cause of somebody adding their praise before the throne of God and their thanksgiving rising up as incense before the angels of God and the cherubim and the seraphim. And why? Because of you. You will be the cause of that praise and thanksgiving. And then number two, he says, And when you touch the heart of somebody in need, their hearts go out to you, to quote the verse, verse 15. Their hearts go out to you. They will pray for you. You have a friend for life. And they pray on their knees for you. So closing illustration, I'm in India. We had given a lot of money to this orphanage, made a big difference. And one of the girls, one of the orphan girls with bare feet, just dirty, said, I want to pray for them. And they said, they gathered around and interpreted her prayer and just about sliced me into a thousand little pieces to hear this little orphan girl pray for the rock and pray for Pastor Ross and pray for you. They wanted the names of all my kids and everybody that they could think of. And this little girl is thanking God Before the angels, before the throne, and asking and invoking the presence of God as an orphan. Please hear my orphan prayers and bless the rock. So, you know, one person told me, and I I promise this is my closing, closing illustration. (laughs) Every time a hand goes up, this guy said, I just started giving. And he said, "I got tired of squirming while you blessed the offering in the prayer. I was just tired of feeling uncomfortable like I was parking on someone else's dime, because I don't give anything." And he said, "Then I started giving. And then when someone got saved and someone got baptized, I felt like I had a part in that. I help keep the doors open. I help, I help pay salaries. I help so that Pastor Ross doesn't have to get a part-time job. Right? So that he can do his thing. But I'm part of the team now and I started feeling pretty good. I could shave in the mirror and not like want to throw up. (laughs) I'm just sorry. (laughs) He might not have put it like that. He was saying, I have so much more self-esteem because the little that I have, I portion out and I give and I'm being faithful. And one more thing he said. He said... And it's causing me to be more generous with my words and with my mercy and with my overlooking offenses. See, it's not about this and this and that and the wallet. It's not. It's a bigger thing to live generously in your heart and your mind and your mouth, your life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that we are surrounded by a bunch of givers. <laughs> they are very amazing. This church, this congregation, this staff, the helpers, just Lord, thank you. And we pray that more and more we'd be more and more generous, Lord, now. That you'd fill us with that grace, because as he said at the end there, It all comes back to the grace of God that enables us to do anything good at all. So we give you all the praise for anything good and all things good. In Christ's name, amen. As I mentioned last week, I I love that there's no need right now. The church is in no, uh, no debt, zero debt. We have a great savings account. We pay our bills on time. Our landlords love us, you know. And yet, this is the truth. This is the truth. And so now Paul goes on back to their relationship problem and doesn't mention money anymore. Just heads up. (laughs) Chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 are all back to the problem again. And uh, I'm just so thankful that we have the word of God to guide us in these matters. Father God, thank you for your love thank you for meeting all of our needs and thank you for your great blessing that's rest upon the rock and all the grace you've supplied bless us now teach us god we all we all fall short lord we all could give even more god we could be more generous so help us to be listening to the holy spirit and ready to obey as you prompt us to put some of this into practice tonight and tomorrow in jesus name amen